Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. It's powerful when a teacher is teaching in a multidisciplinary fashion, but it's more powerful when it's interdisciplinary and it's coming through the disciplines because we may be siloed in our classrooms, but the kids aren't. So it only makes sense that we, you know, teach them together. Hey, Leader of Learning, and welcome to episode 67 of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. And this episode will feature an interview I did with George Valenzuela, who is a recently ISTE published author, author of several books, a consultant, and an expert in areas such as STEM instruction and robotics. His latest book is titled Rev Up Robotics. And the way I see it, education changes so rapidly that sometimes it feels like it's hard to keep up with all the changes and societal expectations on schools and on students. But one of the most natural shifts, in my opinion, over the last few years has been the shift towards STEM education. I think that that's one of the best and biggest ways that we can really help our students prepare for college and career and life beyond their secondary education. I think George was able to share some really interesting takes, thoughts, opinions on STEM instruction and really what we as educators do need to do and what we need to be responsible for in order to better prepare our students for life beyond their traditional schooling. So I was really happy to have had the chance to sit down and speak with George, and I'm excited for you to listen. Here's the interview. All right, leader of learning listeners, I am very excited to bring on my next guest here, George Valenzuela. And uh, I guess before we really get into it here, George, if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners, who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Hey, Dan, I'm in Virginia. I am an education coach, author, and advocate. I am the lead coach for Lifelong Learning Defined, and I coach educators. I write a lot, and I'm advocating all over the place so that our schools can start to use their funding in the right ways in regards to teacher training. That's awesome. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned the coaching thing. Uh, I am an instructional coach myself. Uh, I recently had an episode here on the podcast where I talked to two of my favorite coaches. Now I get to talk to a third. Um, but I, I, I recently spoke to Kathy Perrette and Kenny McKee about instructional coaching. What is it that keeps you going in terms of coaching? What do you love about it? And, and you know, I guess just how does that get you fired up? What I love about it is that I get to reinvent myself every week, every month. Um, I've been in so many different contexts now. I've been in 25 states and over 70 cities in our country. And so I don't only coach our teachers, I also coach assistant superintendents, directors, and principals. And because of that, I constantly have to learn about new initiatives, norms in the district, stuff that's happening in the classrooms. And so I'm always learning. And I feel like because I'm always learning so I can coach others, I get to learn twice. Um, as far as instruction goes, um, I love helping educators make connections. And I love to see when they have those aha moments when they start to understand how 
you know, it's not just about putting up a bunch of standards on the board. It's actually unpacking standards in into learning goals and, you know, into learning targets and what that looks like as far as assessment, um, um, scaffolding, and just on a day-to-day basis on how they can monitor work. And so helping them um, understand those things, but then also how to plan them out and then modeling how to deliver that that really turns me on. Um, it makes me happy and it feels like I'm contributing, not just to our profession, but to our country. That's awesome. You know, I, I think one of the things that fascinates me about uh, what you said about your role is that you get to coach people who are on all different levels in terms of their experience and their position, their title. Now, on the show, uh, if you're a listener and, and my listeners who tune in every single week will, will understand when I say, because I end every episode saying the same thing, that no matter who you are or where you are, you're a leader of learning. And I believe that. But in terms of uh, when you coach district level administrators, superintendents, assistant, assistant superintendents, and classroom teachers, what are the differences there? Like I, I spoke recently on the podcast about sort of the difference between adult learning and student learning. Mm-hmm. Adult learning, to be honest, in my opinion, is way more unpredictable than even student learning is. Is that something that varies a little bit between like your, your teacher level and your you know, upper level admin? Yeah, definitely. So when I'm talking to an admin, a lot of times I am their coach, but I'm more of their consultant. So they tell me what the initiative is, whether it's SEL, um, it's PBL, um, computer science. They tell me what the initiative is, and then I have to give them the answers. But then I have to give them the answers in a way where they're able to connect that new initiative to something they already know. And a lot of them are already instructional leaders, have been really good educators, have been principals. So they understand what instruction looked like when they were either in the classroom or in their role, but now they have to integrate or incorporate something new. So I'm more of a consultant there. And when I'm coaching teachers, it's more of helping them discover the answers and not so much as a consultant. However, when there's some frustration there, um, those are times that I have to give the answer. But it's more helping them through the um, discovery process and anticipating what the needs are and what they need to do, I would say, and have those things ready so that they can not only discover it, but also put it into action. That's cool. Now, uh, I've been quoted on other podcasts as saying that I am my number one fan, which sounds really narcissistic, and I I understand how that sounds. But here's what I mean. I do this show uh, because I get to... And I'm so fortunate. I get to talk to amazing educators who are doing so many amazing things and are so inspirational. But I also just want to learn from them. You know, you mentioned like being a lifelong learner. That's me too. So I'm going to be a little selfish here, but I I know that there are listeners who are tuning in right now who want the answers too. My school is moving toward becoming a STEAM Academy. And one of the things that we uh, we've sort of piloted now, or we're about to start piloting this year, even though the STEAM Academy is happening for another couple of years is to really move toward a multidisciplinary approach to project-based learning. And I know you have a lot of knowledge there about PBL. So 
hit me with some some basics and talk to me about like how can we get started if we're not quite there yet like what are some ways that we can get into that all right so what i would do is i would pick a person at the school that would be the stem teacher or the engineering teacher most likely that would be an elective teacher or a science teacher and have that person create a model of something that they want the kids to build um it could be um a mode of transportation, it could be a rocket, it can be a computer program, you know, just anything that is built that is STEM related. And then have that person bring that model into a teaching session, I'm sorry, into a collaborative planning session, and then have the English, science, math, and other folks look at the model. And when they look at the model, it'll be easier for them to make the curricular connections that they already understand. For example, part of an engineering design challenge or of a STEAM challenge is that you have to document everything. And so that goes into a scientific journal or engineering notebook. When the English teacher sees that model built and then looks at the table of contents in the journal, then that aha moment of informational text and those English standards, you know, come into play. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, same thing, like if you're building a program or something like that, and when you show um, a math teacher what the code looks like, oh, wow, there's loops, functions, variables. Oh, it's a logical step-by-step algorithm, just like when we do long division. So those are the, the, the um, type of things. And so what I would do is um, after, you know, these... Um, um, connections are there, I would look at the ISTE standards because the ISTE standards are meant to augment instruction and they can be used in any um, any curriculum, um, any class. And then just make a unit and have one driving question um, that's overarching of the entire project. But then for each of the teachers, have them have their own driving question that is part of the project, but the kids will make a different product in each of the classes. So in the elective class, they can actually, you know, build the thing. In the math class, they can work on the math piece. On the English class, then they can work on on the written component. Make sense what I'm saying? And then yeah, it's cross collaborative. Yeah. I guess my question to you is like, PBL doesn't seem like it's a new concept per se, but it does seem like it's evolved quite a bit since like we were students. I mean, I can remember, um, and, and I don't think this is much of a secret. I think a lot of people are similar, like where some of the most memorable learning, the, my fondest academic and instructional moments as a student were based around projects that we were doing because it helped me learn better. It was fun. But now I feel like it's more than that. Do, do you think the same? Yeah, well, um, I think that because of folks like Buck Institute for Education, which is now PBL Works, um, because of them and because a lot of experts that have made a high quality model, um, you know, um, um, high quality PBL, which is a framework. I think because of folks like that, that have done a lot of research on it, they have figured out a way to make it practical for all of the content areas and for the electives and and for school redesign. And so it's not a new concept, obviously, it's part of the experiential family or the experiential learning family, which is, you know, um, problem-based learning, um, inquiry-based learning. It's basically any type of learning by doing, 
but also with reflection for metacognition. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, John Dewey, right? That's um, I'm Jerome Bruner. Um, it started actually up in Canada at a medical school. It was what we know now as formal, like, like, you know, PBL. But I think it's evolved because of the research and because educators are becoming a lot more savvy in understanding how to plan for PBL, but also how to deliver it through instructional strategies and through educational protocols. And so because of that, there's a systematic approach to the planning aspect, to scaffolding, assessment, teamwork, um, presentations, and all of the essential elements. And so I think that if educators learn how to do that systematically, um, and the best example I've seen is um, PBL Works. I am a national faculty with them, and so I've learned their, their model. But I would say that they are the gold standard in, in, in coaching educators on how to plan and how to teach with PBL. Um, so I'm not sure, um, how much has evolved, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but the way I've seen it in the past five years, I would have to predict that eventually this would be something that schools have to do. Yeah. I I feel the same way. And I actually think that at some point we're going to see if we haven't already very soon, Uh, The lines get very blurry from one content area to the next and to the next. And I know that's scary for some teachers. And I want to ask you about growth mindset in a second. I just reminded myself um, that that's kind of scary because it's different. It's new. Um, But I just think if if you're talking about STEM and STEAM and project-based learning and a multidisciplinary approach where you're bringing all content areas together, including, like you said, those related arts, it it just makes sense. Like I I think that at some point we're just going to stop naming classes. Uh, <laughs> like they're all going to be steam classes, basically. I, I don't know how that's going to look, but if um, I were in charge, if I were in charge, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I love math and English. I do. I you know these are two of my favorite subjects. But I would, in fact, you know what? I might reserve that that um comment. <laughs> but I'll say this though. I would make um, career tech mandatory in high schools. Mm. Um, If I were in charge, I would see it that every high school has a career theme of some sort and that the academics tie into the career theme or the focus. Um, And that would obviously have to be taught in in the context of projects. And Mm -hmm. so what you're saying is exactly right. Um, It would knock down walls and it would let our kids see the multidisciplinary skill sets that they would have to learn and to achieve in order to be successful in the real world. And so it's powerful when a teacher is teaching in a multidisciplinary fashion where she or he is teaching multiple um, disciplines, but it's more powerful when it's interdisciplinary and it's coming through the disciplines because we may be siloed in our classrooms, but the kids aren't. They go to each of us. So it only makes sense that we, you know, teach them together. It's like the age old question where kids are like, when am I going to use this? Why is this going to matter to me when I get out of school? Right. So I think, um, 
you know, you touched upon like that career technical aspect of it. Um, and, and I think I've told this story before on the podcast. I have a brother-in-law who um, had significant learning disabilities uh, growing up and school wasn't for him. My own twin brother uh, did not do very well in school, traditional school. Uh, they both went through some alternate programs uh, and were very successful in their own right. My brother-in-law is a, uh, a union plumber and, and welder and became really, really good at what he does, but not in your traditional classroom, certainly not. But when he went to uh, an alternate setting, like a career technical program, very, very different experience. It's it sort of, I sort of wonder, I guess, in, in that case, if we might be um, starting to almost pressure kids at too young of an age to start thinking about what they need to be or what they want to be when they grow up and, and I guess pigeonholing them a little bit. So I hope we, we are careful, but I, I really do like your idea of, of being able to expose them to not necessarily the jobs, but the skills and the experiences that they will need uh, that aren't unique to just one particular area, but that can be applied to many different areas, many different fields. Hey, well, I agree with you, um, you know, especially when, when you talked about, you know, beginning with the end in mind. And so there's a lot of people, man, that they get into major life commitments and don't think with the end in mind. They get married, they, you know, jump into relationships and they even get into four-year degree programs. And so I think that in high school, that is really the time when you want to start to pinpoint at least a pathway. I'm not necessarily saying a specific career, but at least a pathway where you can look at, you know, multiple jobs and occupations. When you say pathway, are, are you, do you mean like to, for students themselves to start to pursue what they're passionate about and, and what they're yeah, interested in? Yeah. I think that, well, in an ideal world, you know, like I think of like my 14 year old son and I think of my daughter, she's 17. So my 17 year old, she loves science. So there, that's a huge pathway right there. There's so many like, you know, different things in science. So for her, I encourage her to go to the math science center, to the, um, you know, to a florist, to, you know, our botanical garden, just into different things. So she can learn about, you know, all different parts of science and how science um, is done, how it looks, you know, what it looks in, you know, like, in NASA versus in horticulture, agriculture, things like that. And for my son, he's more into engineering. So I have him, you know, look at mechanical, um, electrical, you know, mechatronics, um, um, computer science, just to look at what the options are and then see which one turns him or her on enough where they want to focus on it and then become an expert. Yeah, that's cool. If if it's my son, he just wants to be a professional athlete. <laughs> but that might be because he's just he's he's only in fourth grade. He's oh, okay, okay. Well, he's got he's still got some time to figure out his yeah. uh, his interests and. You know, my son went through the through the same phase, and um, I always encourage my kids to number one, just figure out what you love to do the most. You know, we love a lot of things, I guess, but figure out that one thing you love to do the most and become an expert at it. And then flip it and use it to help other people. And so my son was really into basketball. And I was like, okay, man, if you really love this thing, then learn all these plays and then become a coach and help other kids. And so I just think that when they do that, it's going to give them purpose. And when you have a purpose, 
You never have to be reminded to wake up in the morning, to do your work, to be on time, and to be motivated. And so that is all I want for my kids. It doesn't matter if they pursue sports, education, whatever, as long as they're happy and they have purpose. That's great. Uh, I did want to ask you as we start to wrap up a little bit here about, uh, because we talked just before we hit record here, that and you, you were modest about it. You said, no, 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 not, not a big deal. But I think you have so many things going on right now uh, oh, in yeah. terms of the, the projects that you're involved in. And uh-huh. uh, just, I, I think the excitement around your work and, and the messages you're trying to spread. So uh, I wanted to ask you about a couple of them. Let's talk about the Teach Better Speakers Network that you recently became a uh, a member of and and a uh, a founding member of, I guess. I don't know if they're adding more. If that makes sense, <laughs> but oh, anyway, no, yeah. Tell- I, I'm not a founding member. Um, I so we were talking about podcasts earlier, and so have you heard of a guy named Chris Woods? He has a podcast that I think you'd be interested in. It's called Daily STEM, and Chris is the guru on everything STEM, and he can the, figure the out the name of the. The name of the show rings a bell. I've ha- I've heard of the show. He's very popular. Um, he's very well connected. He's part of my PLN. A lot of the circles that you're in, he's also a part of those. And so he had me on a podcast and I really didn't, I wasn't aware of the power of podcasts. And, and, and the reason why is because if you, so you saw Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. Okay. So when Jenny dumped him for the last time and he went running for like three years, well, that's what I've been doing. And so I've been focused on PBL, on STEM, on computer science and nothing else. And so I met him and a guy named Tim Cavey and they had me on their shows. And so at first I really, you know, I had never been interviewed, so I didn't know what to expect or what to do. You know, I answered the questions I thought it sucked and I moved on. Well, when I got invited on the Teach Better podcast, something told me I should listen. And I started listening and I was like, wait a minute, like this is actually pretty cool. And so it became like my, you know, everyday PD at the airport, in the car, in the gym, you know, while I'm doing dishes. And so I got to learn about them. By the time I got on the show, I was already an expert on all the questions on what the show was about and on their banter, like, you know, Ray and Jeff. And so I'm not sure what happened afterwards, but I was always listening. And I guess we all became friends on, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And one day Ray reached out to me and she was like, Hey man, can we hop on a call? And so I did. And then they, you know, pitched me the idea. And so the thing that I believe is I walk in purpose and I work in purpose. And so because of that, because of my purpose to help grow teachers, you know, the universe sends me the right people, resources, and things that I need so that I can do my work and so that I can help others do their work. And so they came up with the entire concept, all of the marketing. And I would just have to say that I'm very fortunate to be a part of that. And I get to now promote them everywhere I go and point others into their direction, but also to some of the other speakers like Neil Gupta, um, Hans and Jennifer are on there, Mandy, um, Chad and Jeff and these other folks. And yeah, so Josh um, Stamper, Kevin Butler. Man, I mean, yeah, like, a, lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Like I feel like, I feel like it's like the Avengers, but, <laughs> but, but for education. So I'm very proud of that. 
That's awesome. That's really cool. And you know, I I, I am friends with uh, the Teach Better team. I've been on on their show and uh, Tim Cavey and you know some of the other podcasters and speakers that you mentioned. And um, you know, not not only are they just great people, but just the support that everyone gives each other, like I think you were alluding to, is is really incredible. As a matter of fact, I, I fairly recently, you know, it's still been just a month or two that I made the decision to, instead of releasing podcast episodes every other week, to actually come out with episodes every week. And it's been Jeff Gargas from Teach Better Team, who has been like my accountability partner. Uh, for the first few weeks, he literally would send me a Voxer message. Um, hey, you said you were going to be coming out with an episode every week. Are you going to do one? Or is there one coming out this week? And then when I would release one, he would, of course, come on and congratulate me and say, hey, buddy, I, I heard your show and, you know, congratulations and good job keeping what, keeping up with what you said you were going to do and releasing episodes every week. So, yes, just, you know, super, super supportive. Um, another project that you were working on and I think uh, is not too old at this point, still pretty fresh, is RevUp Robo- Robotics. Talk about that a little bit. That's, oh, that man. seemed like a really exciting book and it's, start, it's starting to get uh, some play out there, right? So I think I saw a group of teachers with some books up in a picture that you had recently. It's, it's, there's a lot of excitement there. It's an unbelievable opportunity. Um, that book was um, published through ISTE, the International Society for Technology Education. And it took me four months to write the book but it took me 10 years to be able to write it in four months. And so what I will say to folks is that if you want to write a book one day, all you have to do is blog about what you're doing in your classroom and your advice to educators. And you blog about that for like about a year and a half or, or a couple of years. And, and then you, you have, have your material, right? Yeah. Of a book, right. Um, so it's not just about robotics. So actually what the book is, And this is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the book disrupts the book market and that educators start to demand that books be how-to guides in opposed to what we need to do guides. And so the book, it focuses on computational thinking, on engineering design or STEM, and on computer science and helping educators in K through 12 get the foundation and the core concepts and practices down in the context of robotics, but can be applied to basically any class context and any branch of CS or engineering. And so um, if you look at it, there are many lit reviews that are in the book. And actually it's based on one of my studies that was done in 2017, but was just you know, um, that that was published by the Journal of Computer Science Integration. And so um, it's very important for folks to understand that, that as a doctoral student, I've been doing this work for a few years. I did a study based on the study. I started doing workshops, wrote blogs on the workshops with kids and, and with students. And then that all became what I needed for my book. It wasn't even planned. Other pe- it was other people's ideas. It was other editors that saw the blogging, saw the activities, and they were like, oh, wow, would you think about writing this book? And so when I did my research study, I basically interviewed folks that had to teach computer science and didn't have the background. So once I interviewed them, having a computer science background, it's my undergrad, I was able to understand what the learning gaps are and why they don't have the confidence and self-efficacy 
for integrating this into the math class, science, English, and so forth. That's great, man. And I know that it's been really well received. And obviously having that ISTE publication, that ISTE endorsement um, gains a certain level of credibility that I think not only- It's (laughs) peer-reviewed. What's that? It was peer-reviewed. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, no, but I think, you know, it, it, and it's not uh, and it's not just about uh, the topic and it's not just about you, but like you said, all the experiences and the, and the studying and the research and, and everything that you've uh, compiled, it's sort of like a compilation as well. But I do really appreciate what you said first about the book that um, it's actionable and, and it, it's ideas that people can just jump right into and get started with right away. So that's really cool. We have gone a little bit longer than I, I wanted to, but that's great. I mean, it's great conversation. And, uh, you know, we, we've known each other a little bit here uh, just from being connected, but kind of the first time we're really getting to speak and I've really enjoyed it. Um, I just wanted to give you the opportunity before we go. We've talked about Teach Better Speakers Network and we've talked about, uh, you know, your company and, and your book. Anything else that you want to let people know about, especially your uh, contact information and where they can find you? Yeah, sure. But um, so you... So you brought up um, Teach Better and ISTE and these folks, and there's a quote by Kevin Hart that says that no man ever succeeds on his, on his or her own, mm. or, or or no person, I should say. And so if it hashtag better together, <laughs> right? And so if it weren't for it, for for the um, Teach Better team, um, ISTE and PBO works, there wouldn't be a George Valenzuela and all the work I have now. And so it was because of folks that, you know, build me up, um, who have promoted my work, who have encouraged me, but also who have provided me opportunities to fail and to succeed along the way that, you know, everything that's happening now, that's a result of those people and of their prayers, I'm, I'm sure. Okay, so enough about that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as um, contacting me, I'm on Instagram and on, and on Twitter at GeorgeDoesPBL. And that is um, J-R-G-E. I'm on Facebook at Lifelong Learning Defined. And I have my website. It's lifelonglearningdefined.com. And yeah, happy PBLing, happy teaching. And I hope to hear from you soon. Again, congratulations on all the things that that you have going on right now, even though you downplayed it quite a bit. I know you're a busy guy. You're traveling <laughs> a lot. You're, you're bouncing from school to school. But uh, I do appreciate the work that you are doing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be one of those ways that you could continue to spread your message. And, and for me to promote your stuff is, is truly an honor and a pleasure. So thanks, man. Likewise. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.